Good morning, Christchurch. I'm excited to introduce to you this morning our guest preacher, Reverend Dr. Erin Monez. Erin is visiting with us from Waco, where she serves as the uh, chaplain of Baylor for the student life. And um, she's also, yeah, a couple of Baylor fans in here. She's also um, part of the church plant, uh, All Saints Waco, serving there as a deacon. Um, you remember a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Father Matt Autry was here and celebrating at the table. He was telling us about this church plant in Waco that you already, Christ Church, have been a part of in so many ways, and there's just a, a shared friendship and affection for one another. So she's joining us today as our guest preacher, and I um, want to just set the table a little bit for what she's going to talk about, which is her some of her doctoral work. Her doctorate was especially around um, discipling the next generation of emerging adults. And I'll let her explain a lot of what that is. Discipling the next generation of emerging adults, spiritual friendship, um, a theology of intimacy, intimacy with this particular age group. And when you think just for a moment of someone in that 18 to about 29-year-old age bracket, and all that they are facing in life, the transitions that they're facing, the questions that society is placing upon them and questions that they might be wrestling with them with themselves and wondering how does the church, how do we, the body of Christ, love, serve, engage, not turn away from, offer the hope of Jesus Christ? That's her doctoral work. And so today um, from, our, from our reading, she's going to weave together those themes of spiritual formation and discipleship for next generation emerging adulthoods. Let me pray for Erin as she comes forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. It is always faithful. You always are faithful to us. So when we encounter your scripture, it's not just more information. It is encountering you, Lord. You breathe your word into existence. You breathe still into our lives today through your word. And through this sermon, that is the preparation Aaron has done, her own character, who you've made her to be, and then for this particular sermon, would you come and breathe fresh life into our hearts, Jesus. Form us. Help us to be a church who attends to and hears this emerging adulthood population and loves and serves in the name of Christ. We ask and pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So good to be with you this morning. Um, I just have to start by referencing something so wonderful about our New Testament passage that maybe you didn't know, but as we're looking at the sort of weird, odd, and wonderful adventures of Paul and Silas, what we are seeing is the beginning of the Philippian church. And we know that this church ends up being this amazing church because we have this letter to the Philippians in our canon. We can see that Paul has this great affection for them. But it started with kind of an odd group. So you have Lydia, who wasn't in our passage, but she's a, she's a Gentile, uh, non-Jewish uh, businesswoman who is a convert. Um, and then you have the young lady who's just relieved of demon possession, and then this Roman jailer and his entire household. It must have been a fun little living room session uh, for the church plant, like here we are. <laughs> us here to start this Philippian church. Um, and I always love thinking about that because uh, we know from scripture that it turned out to be a pretty amazing church. And uh, as a college chaplain, I often feel like each day I get to minister to a similar variety of people and backgrounds. Um, but that's, that's really what the church is, right? This gathering of diverse individuals, uh, lifestyles and ideas. And a large reason why I minister in the context that I do is because I love this variety. 
Um, now, if some of you are not familiar with what it means to be a deacon, um, I, that's fine. You're in good company. I actually didn't know much about it myself. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and where I came from, deacons uh, were the nice uh, men who held open doors and passed you offering plates and trays, uh, communion trays, like thick-wristed folk, right? And so that was, that was what I knew to be deacons. And uh, when I came into Anglicanism, I realized I really fell in love with the diaconate because um, there's something about this particular order that really just fits well with me, and that is uh, that there's, there's a line that I read that, that really speaks to my heart on this, and it says the deacons are here to communicate the needs of the world to the church. And so that is why I'm here with you this morning, because my, my fellow deacons that I'm in fellowship with, they work in all kinds of demographics. Uh, they're in prison ministry, they're working in soup kitchens uh, with refugee populations, uh, just different folks outside the church walls. And then we get to come back in these moments and share about what we've learned so that we as a church can minister as a unit to these folks. And so for me, I specialize in emerging adults. Now, who are they? Uh, this may be another unfamiliar term to you, and basically it's just 18 to 29-year-olds. And the reason that this group has been singled out is about 20 years ago, there was a social scientist named Dr. Jeffrey Arnett who first coined the term emerging adulthood. And Dr. Arnett just noted that between the ages of 18 to 29 in our society, there's just a variety of things that happen, these patterns of existence during this particular time of life. And he identified five things about this group that I think are helpful for us today. The first is that this is an, a really intense time of identity formation and exploration. 18 to 29, who am I? What am I gonna do with my life? Where am I gonna live? A lot of questions come up. The next is that this group tends to deal with instability and transience. So this is pretty spot on for my college students. I mean, every three to five months, not only do they get a new schedule, but they're usually packing up and moving and living different places. So that's a lot of change over the course of four years. But even past higher ed, uh, for those who experience it, this group, they're moving to new cities. They're changing jobs. There's just a lot of transients. And I feel like this is important for the church to pay attention to, pay attention to because I visit with churches sometimes uh, where they don't feel the need to invest in this particular group because they're so transient. Um, but there's something so important about being able to come alongside people and journey with them as they grow and mature in their faith. And so I, shouldn't, I, I wanna challenge us to not let that transience deter us, um, but to rather know that this is just a time of life where they're moving around and switching a lot of things up, but they're trying to establish roots somewhere. The next marker is that this group tends to be particularly self-focused. Now, if you are 18 to 29 in this room, I just want to let you know that that does not mean, I'm not saying that you're egotistical, although some of you are. You know who you are. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's okay. But really what Arnett is getting at here is that this is a time of life where the sort of outward-facing responsibilities that often cause us to have to think differently and not always be able to be so self-aware sort of come gradually during this time of life. And so what these people experience is emerging adults often have a lot of time to just reflect, again, on that identity formation, who they are, who they're becoming, what Christ is doing. And while that can lead to egotism, uh, it is also an opportunity for self-awareness and understanding that's really beneficial to this group. The fourth marker is that this is a group that feels very caught in between life stages. So this is where we get that word adulting from, right? I have uh, students that are like, I did my taxes. 
I'm adulting, right? And so they sometimes feel like, ah, I'm a real adult now. And then uh, there's other times when they're like, uh, jury duty? Isn't that what the adults do? Like, I'm, I'm not old enough to do jury duty, right? So there's, there's a lot of fluctuation because in our, in our culture, we don't really have a moment in time where we say, congratulations, you're an adult. There isn't this moment, right? Is, when is it? When you graduate from high school or college, buy a home, have a family, when is it? And that's why these adults are emerging. They're going through this stage of life where they're experiencing things that are starting to make them an adult, but they don't always feel like an adult in the transition. And the fifth identifier for this group is that they are filled with hope and see endless possibilities. I think these markers are helpful for us as we think about the way we develop our approach to discipleship for this group. Because, friends, we need to be thinking about them and thinking about how we disciple them. But we also need them. Because, like us, they need the gospel. And we need the gospel. And when we minister to them, they force us to experience the gospel and we learn the gospel from them. See, when we look back at our gospel passage today in the book of John, Jesus is preaching this high priestly prayer on our behalf and he's citing a passage that is often uh, referred to as a passage about unity. And while it is about unity to that extent, uh, unity for unity's sake is not necessarily what Jesus is going for here. Because what we see when we look into this passage is reoccurring themes of glory, love, knowledge, and identity. And this is powerful because these are the themes that help us understand what is unifying us. What makes us united? What brings us together? And when I think about these things alongside of these life stage markers of emerging adulthood, identity formation, instability, self-focus, in-betweenness, and hope, I see a group of people who have an itch that only the gospel of Christ can scratch. And you may be thinking at this point, okay, Deacon Aaron, yes, that's great, emerging adulthood, but I've heard about this group. Aren't they the ones leaving the church? What about deconstruction? Deconstruction, folks. I know. I, we, it's one of those words that by this point, I don't know if you're sick of it. I'm sick of it. It's, it's, it's really one of those, those words that's well, all over the place, at least on social media. Um, but yes, this group tends to have trends where they are looking at their faith differently than some of the rest of us. And to talk about this, I would like to share a little bit about uh, my time as an assistant chaplain uh, back in the school in Georgia, where we just, we just moved from uh, five months ago. And it was that weekend in between the end of finals for the fall semester, and then there was always a couple of weeks uh, before the Christmas break. And the only people left on campus were those of us who work year-round, and I had a couple of student workers that were there on scholarship. And my student workers get to the office early to open the office, answer emails, make the coffee. And uh, so my two student workers arrive on this Monday morning after the end of finals, and my sweet office worker, Jenna, goes into my portion of the office, because that's where the coffee pot is on a table right next to my desk. What she doesn't realize is that over the weekend, a squirrel has gotten into my office <laughs> through an open ceiling tile. And while the squirrel never did find its way out of my office, it did find this canister of chocolates that I keep on my <laughs> coffee table. And he had eaten every single one of them. 
And what happened next, we can only guess, was a sugar-induced rager that caused this squirrel to just do laps in the office. I mean, papers everywhere, books off the shelves. I mean, this was, this was like anything that wasn't nailed down was just everywhere. There, were, there was these brown smears across the wall that I pray to this day was chocolate. And it's just, just this nastiness everywhere. So my, my intelligent young office worker, she walks in to this. And her first thought is, boy, Erin needs to get her life together. Oh. Right? Now, it was only half a second later that she saw a little bit of movement out of the corner of her eye, and she said, nope, and turned around and shut the door, and there's an ending to this story, which come see me afterwards. I'll be happy to tell you, but I tell you this to say, friends, it's easy to pass judgment on those deconstructing. We might get a peek at that mess inside someone's mind and think, they just need to get their life together. But what is the squirrel in this scenario? I want to share one more thing with you that I learned in my time with emerging adults that has been so incredibly helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful to you. Because when we think of deconstruction, we often think people are lashing out. People just don't have enough faith anymore. There may be any number of reasons why we judge folks who are asking hard questions or finding that they need to step away from the church or any number of things that often come during this time between 18 and 29. But friends, there is a man named Dr. Fowler who talks about cognitive development and how that range of cognitive development in our lives intersects with how we understand our faith. And if you've ever worked with youth, this will probably uh, sound familiar to you because there's actually a distinction in our brain chemistry and the way our brains develop from age 13 to 18 and then 18 into 20s. Um, I won't bore you with all the jargon, but I will say this, in high school, the way that our developmental stage interacts with faith is that we become more developed in abstract thought. We're able to discern layers of meaning. Most high schoolers are claiming faith as their own, but they're often accepting that faith as the faith that their family has been a part of and claims. And issues of religious authority are important to people at this stage. Um, parents, important adults, friends, religious community. And for all people in this stage, religious authority resides mostly outside of them personally. And so this is what we see when we minister to high school students, more often than not. And again, these are generalities, but this is the way we sort of aim our discipleship. But something happens. Something happens developmentally when they enter emerging adulthood. And they start to question their own assumptions about faith traditions. They start to question the authority structures of the faith. This is often the time that someone will leave the religious community if the answers to the questions they are asking are not to their liking. Greater maturity, though, is gained by rejecting some parts of the faith while affirming other parts. And in the end, the person starts to make greater ownership of their faith journey. Friends, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that these folks all seem to be around the same age when this is happening. It is a part of the way God created us developmentally to move through our faith structures, through this sense of ownership, asking hard questions, and for the first time, our brains are in a place where we can begin to dive into layers of meaning. Because for those of us that grew up in church, we receive this wonderful training that we sort of outgrow to a point. Like my little nephews that are in elementary school, they, if you read them a Bible story, they want to know the most important thing, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, right? 
because that is where they are developmentally. That's what they're asking, and those are good questions. That's the way we structure things, but for this age group, they're asking different questions, and it's okay. And when I realized that, completely changed the way that I approached the students coming into my office with these questions. Now, just, just to add one more clarifier, you may be saying, okay, Aaron, I hear all this about emerging adulthoods, but are you talking about Gen Z? <laughs> is that who this is? I've heard about these people. Um, yes and no, because what I'm talking about is mostly a developmental stage of life, 18 to 29, patterns that we see anyone going through. But yes, currently right now, the folks that are in that age range are late millennials, and then early Gen Zers. And every generation brings sort of their unique lens to the different phases of life. But we just don't have nearly the time to get into that today. But it's important to know that these uh, generational identities are also important to the way we disciple. What we can know for sure, at least between 18 and 29, what Dr. Arnett gives us as some basic markers of this life stage, we can get into that and from that develop keen and intuitive ways of discipling this group in our churches. Now, how do we do that? How do we disciple emerging adults? Well, I believe this is about making room for deconstruction and reconstruction. Right? Deconstruction does not have to lead to destruction. But how do we do that? How do we steward this in such a way? Now, one thing we know about this group is that they're starting to come to these churches. Um, I have a counterpart over in Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, Winfield Bevins, who's done a number of, done a lot of research and he has a book out about there are trends that we are measuring where this age group is starting to seek out liturgically structured churches. So we know that they are here. They're with us. And so how do we reach out to them? Well, I would like to offer a couple things to pay attention to. The first is mentoring mentoring this generation because they're hungry for it. In fact, Gen Z in particular shows an aptitude. They desire to connect with mentors. And that doesn't mean you have to have a seminary degree. That just means connecting with someone and walking alongside of them. My husband and I find in college ministry that we end up being sort of surrogate spiritual parents for a lot of these students. And, and it's really just being with them and journeying with them, helping them have guardrails during this time of deconstruction and reconstruction. So another thing I offer is a depth of biblical and ecclesiological literacy. Now, those are big words. Basically, all I'm saying is teaching them the Bible, teaching them the stories of God, and also what does it mean to be the church? Why are we here? What are we doing? How does one choose a church? How does one discern whether a church is healthy or not? These are great questions for all of us to answer, but this group in particular, in moving to new cities and coming to new places, they are looking for this, and we can answer that. There are also topics that are really valuable to this time of life that I encourage um, all of us to think about from the pulpit, from leaders within the group and small group curriculums, and that is to look at vocation, right? Why do we work? How are we called to work? What does scripture have to say about our work? Relationships. How do we have healthy relationships? What does healthy relationship look like? How is that, again, described and shown for us in scripture? Mental health is something we should be talking about more. And then when we think about the intensity of identity formation for this group, we need to be critical about how we understand technology. 
because a lot of identity formation is happening in these virtual spaces. How do we enter that? How do we become a pastoral presence? How do we help folks navigate the way technology is working on our identity formation? And then finally, we need to engage intentionally and thoughtfully about social and civic responsibility. Now friends, I don't wanna get into the weeds here. These are very sensitive subjects, but I wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't tell you that this emerging adult group is looking to the church to see how we are responding to important aspects of our world. Abuse and the Me Too movement, white supremacy, and gun violence. They're looking to us. They're looking to see what we do. They're looking to see how we handle it. And I know these are tricky subjects. And the thing is, most young people I meet aren't looking for really tight, concrete answers. They are just attuned to our hypocrisies, and they are wondering how we apply our gospel, our social ethic from a Christian viewpoint to these things in a way that shows fidelity to the gospel of Christ. And so I urge us to, to get together and be intentional about these things because they are looking to see if they can stay in our churches based on how we are responding to these tragedies in our world. And here today, we will take a moment um, after the sermon to actually look at and lament for the tragedy in our community that happened recently. And this is good, this is a good start. And we need to continue thoughtfully in how we address these things from the pulpit and within the leadership in our church. Really, we're, we're looking at the power of the gospel in people's lives. I love uh, in this gospel passage, um, uh, we were just talking before how it's sort of worded in a funny way, uh, the way Jesus is praying, I and you and us and them. But I want you to notice that the word knowledge or to know is used six different times, particularly at the end of the passage we read today. And there's something about knowledge of the gospel of Christ, growing in that knowledge. We see this. The apostles use it all the time in their letters at the beginning and the end. I pray that you grow in the knowledge of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I work with my colleagues at Baylor, we often talk about what do we mean by knowledge? How do we think about how we disciple our college students in this? And I like to think that the way we experience it is trying to experience the gospel as a whole person. So that would mean cognitively, in a way that is, that is good for our minds, relationally, in relationship with each other, and then aesthetically. And what I mean by that is, I think we need to be really intentional about how we use the arts. And this is great for everyone, but it's particularly good for emerging adults because the arts are different than a lecture or a sermon where I will hopefully tie things up with a nice little bow for all of you and we can all go on to the table. But the arts are messy. They don't tie everything up with a nice little bow. They allow for, for lament, for honesty, for authenticity. And it's a powerful tool that we bring together so that we have this embodied experience and growing in the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. And so I think as churches, we should think about that and think about how we weave the arts into our spiritual formation. As friends, emerging adults, emerging adults need what we need, the gospel. We need to gather as often as possible to remember, to remember the story of God, 
to remember who God is and what the triune God is doing in the world. Because when we remember who God is, we remember who we are. And when we remember who we are, we realize that there are things in Scripture that say true things about you and I right now, here today. And it tells us, friends, that we are complete, that we are full that we are free, that we lack nothing for life and godliness, that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And because of that, we remember, even though we don't feel full and we don't often feel free, that that is what is true. And when we dive into that and encourage each other in that, we face the world differently as people who are not coming from a point of scarcity, not acting like orphans, but remembering that we are adopted and loved and that we are free and full to care for others because we're not coming from a place of scarcity. And that is what we do in ministry to emerging adults. And when I do that, when I sit with the students in my office, I minister that to them and I am ministering it back to myself and remembering, remembering the gospel because I need it so much. And so I just want to encourage the church today as you're visiting Deacon. This is a wonderful group. They're here. They are the church. They're the future of the church in many ways. And I'm hoping that something you learn today will encourage you to have grace for yourself and grace for this group as we work to minister to them together. And remember, like our gospel passage says, Righteous Father, if the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. May this be our prayer that resonates with us today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.